Yeah, we've just got the farmer's market around here. I'm not sure of any, like, local grocery delivery stuff that we've got. Yeah, that's the nice thing, because we're not far from North Carolina, and we've got Richmond and that area of Virginia not too far away, so it's like, you have a lot of farmy options around here and can get a lot of nice produce. And I don't have to go anywhere when it's hot and humid as shit in Virginia. Yeah, that's why I always like to go um, to the farmer's market and stuff super early to the frustration and disappointment of all of my friends who want to sleep until noon. Mm -hmm. I know that feel. (laughs) I'm like, no, I want to go. I want to get the first dibs of everything. Yeah, for real. And then I want to go home. And not do anything for the rest of the day. I want to get everything done in like that hour between like like eight and ten. That's two hours. Uh, shut up. <laughs> I I knew what I meant, but I want to get everything done like in a small window of time. Right. Where I have the rest of my day and I don't have to sit and be like, in two hours I have to go to Walmart and I don't want to go to Walmart in two hours. Yeah. Just get it all done when no one is out. Everyone's That's in church. That's the best way. Yeah, it's me. Oh, God, my mouse isn't working. Oh, no. Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 115 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Raya. And I'm Casey. And this two-part episode, this is part two. <laughs> well, brain, too far. <laughs> was, that, was that my brain or your brain? I don't know. I think we've got like three brain cells between us. Uh, this part two of our look into the life and crimes of H.H. H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. I'm going to try that again. This part two of this our look. This is part in- two. I forgot the is. <laughs> this, this are part two. <laughs> <laughs> This is part two of our look into the life and crimes of one H.H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. And I'm 100% leaving all of that. (laughs) Uh, You can find us on social media. Yes, you can. This, as an example, was voted on by our Patreon members over on patreon.com slash strange unusual. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. All of the information will be in the show notes as well as in further detail at the end of the episode. Well... Do we want to hear what happens after Mr. Holmes marries one Georgiana Yoke? Of course we do. Wee woo! Murder! (laughs) Specifically in this segment, uh, child murder. Um, There's mutilation of a corpse. I'm going to talk a lot about fraud and delusions of grandeur, amnesia, Wild West outlaws, crooked lawyers, and trains. Any of those triggers you? (laughs) Time to peace out. So we left off with Holmes and Georgiana. So it's 1893 and people are getting a little pissed off at Holmes and the bullshit he's pulling with creditors and things like that. There's mounting evidence and lawsuits being brought against him. PIs and different um, like credit investigators are coming in hot. And that fall, Holmes was called to the office of attorney George Chamberlain, where he was confronted by like two dozen creditors and private investigators. Damn. He's given all kinds of excuses, which they don't really seem to believe much. And they say, okay, look, we have to figure out what to do with you. So why don't you step out into the hall and and we'll like deliberate because we don't need you in the room with us. And they're fucking dummies. So of course he escapes. And they're out there like, Oh, 
where'd that rascal go? Oh, gosh. So Holmes leaves Chicago in early 1894. Minnie Williams' uh, land in Texas that had been signed over to him uh, was was basically what he was planning to. He's like, I have this land in Texas and we're going to use it. So he takes his new wife, Georgiana. Uh, they were married uh, in Denver. He collected a life insurance policy on Minnie Williams' brother. Uh, don't know how that happened. Baldwin just happened to die and he got some money for it. Oops. <laughs> So he ends up in Fort Worth, Texas um, to claim the property he told his wife that he had inherited from an uncle. While he's there, he's using the names O.C. and H.M. Pratt. And his his assistant, Benjamin Peitzel, we talked about last week, was using the name Lyman. Minnie's property included a large vacant lot near um, the county courthouse that Holmes planned to build on. The ranch that he told his wife that he was collecting, inheriting, didn't actually exist. According to Harold Schechter, I think that's how you say his name, uh, in his book, Book Depraved, it was one of like the first books about Holmes to come out when it was like the hot new serial killers, uh, the the term serial killer was being coined. And he's like, I'm going to write this book about Holmes. And so it's kind of like he, he believes it a little too much. Mm. Um, but he says that Holmes had told his wife there were squatters on the land. And so that's how he explained to her that they needed to use these uh, aliases because he's going to have to evict the squatters and they need precautions because these are desperate men in Texas with guns. So we don't want them to know we're here. He didn't want her to worry that someone would be looking out for people under the name Howard, which he had now taken, um, coming to collect on the land that they were squatting on, essentially. So he started to build a replica of his building in Chicago with the, quote, twisty, weird hallways and and private or like secret rooms um, on that land that he had claimed. Uh, This left many speculating if he intended to continue his schemes in Texas, especially those who believed that murder castle thing like, oh, God, he was going to build one in Fort Worth. Uh, It never was actually finished. Once again, Holmes was not paying his debts. He was not paying the people that were working for him or any for for the services that were needed. He defrauded creditors out of like $20,000, which is well over half a mil today. It's like between six dollars and $700,000. And so this ruse of Pratt and Lyman was that they were wealthy northerners looking to settle in Fort Worth and start their business there. And people were just like, cool, here's money. You want some money? Here's some money. But during this stint in Texas, it it wasn't a long-lived endeavor um, because Holmes was a big fat dummy who got into horse theft in Texas like a fucking idiot. Yeah, where that shit's taken like for real, for real. And that's important later. Good. So once again, Holmes, Georgiana, <laughs> and Peitzel flee. This is the second time now. Peitzel ends up sending for his family in Chicago to move to a place in St. Louis, which Holmes pays for. He gets them a three-bedroom apartment for his assistant, Benjamin, his wife, Carrie, and their five kids, Desi, Alice, Nellie, Howard, and Wharton, which is a interesting name. Now, this place is pretty run down. Carrie's not too thrilled um, because Peitzel's been telling his wife what good money he's going to get with Holmes. He was like, I have absolute faith in this dude. We're going to get set up for life he explained to her they had this con- they'd concocted this plan to fake benjamin Gen- bleh, benjamin peitzel's death and they were going to collect a ten thousand dollar insurance policy in her name that they would split with Holmes. 
He told her once they got this money, he was going to retire from the con life and he was never going to do another dishonest thing. He was just going to be there for her and be her husband like he should have been all this time. And that's if he's splitting 10K, that's like $150,000. I'm not sure that she'd be set for life, but I'd definitely be able to like pay things off, maybe get a house, not feel so desperate that I couldn't just hold a regular job and get by. Yeah. So the plan was for the men to go to Philadelphia and take up fake identities. Holmes was going to make a deal for a corpse, which he could as a doctor, and then mutilate it beyond certain identification. Then they would, quote, identify the body as Benjamin Peitzel and split the payout. I think they chose Philly because that was where the home office of the Fidelity Company was that he had the insurance through. And they thought they'd get paid faster that way. Um, And it's also worth mentioning that Carrie Peitzel was not fond of Holmes. And she was not fond of this plan. Yeah, I mean, because you can see the flaws if you look at it closely (laughs) enough. Like, what did you make this plan out of? Swiss cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Now, at some point in St. Louis, in the summer of 1894. What was that? That's the episode title. At some point in St. Louis in 19... Er, sorry, now I did it. In the summer of 1894, <laughs> Holmes was actually arrested for a fraud situation that I'm not really going to go into, but essentially he was trying to sell a mortgaged property. Um, and it was shady shit. Anyway, so while he's in jail, he meets the once famous Wild West outlaw, the handsome bandit, Marion Hedgepeth. Mm-hmm. And Holmes is like super vain. and He's just like trying to impress this outlaw. So he starts telling him about his plan to commit fraud. <laughs> And life insurance policy and promise hey man i will give you five hundred dollars of this payout which is you know it's roughly sixteen thousand dollars if you compare it to what we'd get today it's somebody saying i'll give you 16 grand um if you can suggest a lawyer who i can trust with this kind of shady shit and hedgebeth knows i know the guy i know the guy his name is jeff the d how you gotta talk to to attorney Howe. So he does. He's Holmes is bailed out shortly afterwards. He didn't spend much time in jail at all. And Howe ended up thinking this idea was fucking genius. And he's only asking for 25% of the cut. I wrote LOL after that. So Ben Peitzel heads out for Philadelphia on July 29th, tells his wife, hey, baby, next time you see me, we're gonna be rich. And while in Philly, he uses the name Perry instead of Peitzel um, and stays at a boarding house on Race Street, which incidentally, I looked it up. That place wasn't very far away from where I stayed when I was in Philly last year. I could have visited uh, Peitzel's last boarding house. (laughs) Once in Philadelphia, he was supposed to set up shop as B.F. Perry, buying and selling patents in a rented space on Callow Hill Street. It's uncertain exactly when Holmes arrived in Philadelphia, but we do know that Georgiana had been visiting friends in Indianapolis and arrived in Philly on August 5th and joined Holmes, who had already been settled into his lodging. So we also know that he was registered again under the name H.M. Howard, the name he had used to marry Georgiana. So Holmes had allegedly procured a replacement corpse for Ben Peitzel, but it was soon discovered that the semi-annual payment on the policy that they were trying to cash in on had been missed. And I'm not sure who was responsible for those payments. Some sources claimed it was Peitzel, but others said it was Holmes. It might have been a combination of the two, like he pays this one, I pay that one. But it was suggested that Holmes was enraged when he found out that the payment had been missed and the $157.50 premium was wired to the office within hours. Um, or, yeah, like immediately with just hours to spare before the policy lapsed. Wow. Cutting it real close there. Yeah. 
While Peitzel was playing the part of this patent broker, that was a lot of alliteration that I didn't intend on. I did that a couple of times. He actually had clients who were coming to like talk to him about patent. And Ben did have some experience in this process, or at least enough to get by, because he had also had a history of like trying to invent things. Yeah, he had invented, that's like like where they met. or something? Yeah, Yeah, he had invented some new coal box. That's where, that was like on display in the same building Holmes was in. When he was trying to sell his gas thing that didn't work. Yeah. So this gentleman, Eugene Smith, would come in and throughout the end of August was chatting about inventions and patents. And, you know, Smith would later say, usually these meetings were just him and Perry alone. But there were occasions when there was another man there. And Smith would later say that that was Holmes. On September 4th, Smith came by for one of these chats and he discovered a rotting corpse on the second floor. The body of B.F. Perry. And at this point, you've probably guessed this is no dupe, but the actual body of Benjamin F. Beitzel. We weren't like... We aren't sure if this was Holmes' plan the whole time or if he got pissed off about the payment or if he thought Peitzel knew too much at this point. Um, but he'd been working with Peitzel for a long time and it's probably good to have like a second set of hands around that you trust. So I don't see him just going willy-nilly like be gone. I think, I think something set him off. Yeah. Um, but we do know that he had been dead for a couple of days by the time he was discovered by Smith and Holmes was already on a train to Indianapolis. It said that Holmes left his wife in their room on the morning of September 1st to attend a meeting with a fellow businessman who was actually Peitzel. Uh, There's some evidence that Benjamin had been planning to leave town, like he had some bags packed and stuff. Holmes would later say that he wanted to delay the plan because his wife and baby were sick and he needed to go back to St. Louis. The next day, he told Georgiana his business in Philadelphia had been concluded and that they would be leaving immediately. Georgiana was under the weather and wanted to stay until she fit, she felt better, uh, but he was insistent and then left the room that morning so that she had to pack everything and went to make sure, quote, everything was in order. <laughs> that morning, September 2nd, Ben Peitzel was murdered. Uh, according to Adam Seltzer, we talked about his book a lot in the last episode. Um, there was no struggle on the scene. Holmes used chloroform. And uh, despite what they show you in TV, chloroform isn't always the easy rag and drop thing you see. Um, dosing can actually be a rather delicate balance, one that Holmes would have understood being a doctor. Peitzel was known as an alcoholic, which I think I mentioned last week, and it was suggested that he was already drunk or that Holmes easily got him drunk to keep him from struggling too much during his final visit. But we don't know any of the details of their final moments together. Selzer's book claims that once Peitzel was dead or nearly dead from the chloroform, Holmes poured more of the liquid chloroform into his throat and pumped Peitzel's chest until the liquid got into his stomach, presumably to look like a suicide or an alcoholic's accident if the you know, like the next bit doesn't hold up because he then arranged the scene to look like an explosion had taken place. <laughs> he even singed the hair and skin of his victim and placed broken bottles of volatile chemicals around to look like he'd gone to light his pipe and had lit it too close to something flammable. Some some sources even said he lit the whole body on fire, which I, I think is a little much. Him. Like, he's, like, uncomfortably clever about some things. Yeah. By 10.30 that night, he and uh, Georgiana were on a train to Indianapolis. Smith had let himself in on the morning of the 4th upon finding Perry. He immediately called for a doctor. Dr. William Scott from a nearby pharmacy came, and uh, Perry was pronounced dead. But it wasn't the explosion that killed him. Nay, 
was the fact that his bladder burst as a result of the explosion. Allegedly. Although he did contradict this later when he testified. um, He said that he suspected foul play. Um, He said, quote, the face was much mortified, indicating putrefaction. There was a considerable stench in the room. We found around the room a broken bottle and some uncorked bottles on the mantel. I went to the house expecting to find a man burned to death or blown to death by an explosion. We found the face discolored and distorted or full of pools. The inner skin and outer skin, cutis and cuticle, separated and watery-like. That was the process of decomposition. The odor was terrible. His tongue was swollen and stuck out of his mouth. And red fluid issued from his mouth. Any pressure on the stomach or over the chest here would cause this fluid to flow more rapidly. So, Gross. Yeah. I should have probably wee wooed for Mop body decomp at the beginning. Oh, well. I mean, uh, they should know by now. Yeah. It's a, it's a Casey episode. Come on. <laughs> uh, when police arrived, the scene was suspicious. Uh, some noted that things looked like they had been placed with intent, not scattered by an explosion, and that the bottle had looked like it was broken from the outside, not from within, like it might with the force of an explosion. The autopsy was performed by Dr. Mattern, and he said there were signs of uh, autism. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Signs of alcoholism, uh, like in his kidneys and liver. They found an ounce of liquid chloroform in the stomach, but noted there was no irritation or inflammation, so it was almost certainly introduced post-mortem. And they noticed his lungs smelled like chloroform, quote, very perceptively. Them was some stinky lungs, I wrote. I wonder what chloroform smells like. Probably like sleep. Okay. Oh, hold on. I gotta. All right. Uh, so it was determined that Perry had died suddenly from chloroform fo- poisoning, not an explosion, and that there was no way someone could kill themselves that way and then be in the position that he was found in. Despite that, there was a coroner's jury, which I had never heard of, and they determined that the verdict was accidental death by explosion waving their middle fingers at the evidence against it yeah i've had that happen on a few cases where they have a coroner's jury so it's basically just like a group of coroners that they get together and look at the evidence and then agree or disagree or whatever i don't know how you can look at that and go nope accidental but i guess that's just me knowing what i know is a smart lady of the twenty thousands twenty whatever Anyway, Holmes went back to St. Louis. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a smart lady of the 20,000s. I'm not good at math. It's like what everybody says, right? I'm not good at math. Holmes went back to St. Louis to assure that Carrie and the children uh, were, you know, they're, he's like, just chill. Like, I don't, I know what you might have heard in the news, but Benjamin is totally fine and alive and not dead. Definitely not dead. 100% promise. Benjamin's just in hiding. He told her to shut up and not get in any trouble. And he wanted to see any letters that he, she'd been receiving from him while he was gone. And he took a couple of them and then made her burn the others because evident. So they meet with the attorney, Howe, and the they plan that Carrie and Desi are going to go to Philadelphia to identify the body. However... Carrie and her baby Wharton are actually ill and couldn't go to Philadelphia. So Alice, who was only 15 at the time, but would have been considered an adult, uh, was sent ahead uh, and went with how the attorney to identify the body. Holmes also claimed that he had been talking in depth with Ben about her moving to the West to live with his cousin, Minnie Williams. 
And it's just all part of the plan. If you didn't hear my sarcasm, put air quotes quotes around all of that. (laughs) Carrie wasn't super stoked about this idea. and She didn't want to get the kids involved. But she was assured that everything was fine. And this was going to get her to her money and her husband faster. So she went along with it. The landlady actually said later that she noted that Carrie did not seem very distraught in the face of the news that her husband was dead, basically. So Hal drafted this paperwork and gave Holmes power of attorney over Carrie and the plans to collect the life insurance moved forward. Alice and Hal went to Philadelphia, later met by Holmes, and a horrified Alice was in shambles as she identified her father by his teeth. Holmes had graciously put a newspaper over Peitzel's face with just a hole for the mouth to hide the extensive decomp that he had been exposed to at this point. This was enough for the insurance company and a check was made payable to Carrie Peitzel. Once Holm brought the check back to Carrie though, and they gave Howe his cut of $2,500, he only ended up giving Carrie 500 because, you know, all those debts Benjamin owed him. He's such a fucking <laughs> trash yeah. human. We'd hate him. We hate him. Uh, Alice, meanwhile, was staying in Indianapolis because she was there to, quote, meet with her father, who obviously couldn't come back to St. Louis. And so Holmes convinced Carrie to go ahead and send Howard and Nellie along so that she would not be alone. And while they waited, I guess. I don't know. So as Holmes leaves St. Louis with the other two children, he sends a telegram forward to Alice telling her to leave her hotel, come meet him at the train station, and we're going to Cincinnati because that's where dad is. Carrie was supposed to come behind them on a different train so that they don't attract attention. Uh, And they were all going to meet up, but needed to stay separate so that way it wasn't super obvious what was going on. Holmes is orchestrating at this point an incredibly complicated task of moving himself and his wife, three children, and then the wife of his former partner and two more children, all separately, but all staying in the same city around the same times and never together. And this trend develops with Holmes. Every time they arrive in a new city, he always comes up with some excuse as to why Benjamin can't meet them there. And then they're on to the next city. But in reality, Holmes had been tipped off by a contact in Chicago, and he knows he's running from the law at this point. Georgiana went along with all of this as well and wouldn't, and sorry, she would eventually say that throughout September to October in their travels, he seemed like he was having panic attacks and had felt haunted by seeing a putrid body. And for her part, it seems like she had no idea what was going on. She said she had no idea that there were children involved and he said nothing about the kids. She didn't even know the Peitzel kids at that point. They traveled and lodged all separately all the time. And there's evidence of that. And they stayed in different hotels and boarding houses completely. So they weren't even like in the same building with different rooms. They were completely separate. Yeah. Traveling in different train cars, that sort of thing. Carrie was often in the same city as her children, but was led to believe that they were elsewhere. And that the, and then the children believed that their mother was with her parents, their grandparents in Illinois. At some point, it's assumed that he decided that all the Peitzels were a liability, but we'll get there. Starting with uh, eight-year-old Howard, as early as Cincinnati. He apparently rented a house for his, quote, widowed sister and her children, a story he uses consistently from here. They go to the house and Holmes is getting this large wood stove put in and he notices that someone across the street is really looking at them and he saw he thought better of it and so he moved on to the next city or that's what it's assumed anyway he feel like he didn't feel comfortable doing the murder here so they went back to Indianapolis Holmes is telling people that he's these are his nieces and nephew and these three kids are uh 
you know, they need to be taken care of because of his sister, but the boy is really badly behaved and he's need- he needs to be institutionalized. So on October 8th, Holmes was seen at a house that he was renting again, quote, for his sister and having a large wood stove delivered. Howard was killed on October 10th, and it's presumed that Holmes poisoned him as when the property was being investigated later, there was a bottle of cyanide that was found in the barn. But there was also uh, evidence or like somebody came forward and said that they identified him. It was Dr. C.E. Wright. Uh, they identified Holmes as having purchased cocaine and a mix of cocaine, hydrate of chloral, and chloroform, chloroform on October 5th or 6th at his pharmacy. Howard's remains were partially destroyed in the stove, but Holmes was in such a hurry that he never cleaned them from the stove. So his bones were just left in there, essentially. Gross. The next resident of the house uh, recalled a foul smell upon moving in, which he basically just threw a bunch of lime in the house to kill the smell. We don't know exactly how he explained Howard's absence to his sisters, but one of her, one of Alice's letters to her mother, one of her last letters, uh, was quoted in newspapers across the country as simple, Howard is no longer with us. That's kind of all she said about it. Next, they went to Detroit. Uh, Holmes, Georgiana, Alice, and Nellie arrived on October 12th. Carrie, Desi, and Wharton arrived on the 14th. By October 15th, it seems that Holmes was already preparing to murder the two girls. Again, he found a rental property and actually began digging a three-foot deep hole in the backyard. We're not sure if he was tipped off to investigators or just paranoid, but they left town suddenly. Um, And he had every right to be paranoid, because while all of this is happening, one investigator of the life insurance company, W.E. Gary, had suspected something wasn't quite right with Peitzel's death. Uh, Though once confirmation and payout took place, there wasn't a whole lot anybody could do about it. He just, you know, had that feeling. So he hears, and he was, he happened to be in St. Louis, and he heard that there's this Wild West outlaw with an interesting claim about insurance fraud. As sure enough, he goes to meet <laughs> Hedgepeth, who had been trying to reduce his 25-year sentence. And so people aren't really listening to him because he's basically saying anything he can to reduce his sentence. Yeah. But Gary goes to visit and gets the scoop and he believes him because uh, he starts telling Gary all of these details that couldn't have been known to him without hearing it from Holmes or how. And his, sen- his sentence incidentally does get reduced. So Gary contacts his company president and it's decided to open a full investigation, and they even get help from the Pinkertons, which those guys could have their own full-ass episode to themselves. Oh, I'm sure they will eventually. If you don't know about the Pinkertons, these guys were like the ones that hunted down Jesse James and the Wild Bunch. One of them saved Lincoln from an assassination attempt, you know, just not that one. Uh, But unfortunately... Holmes managed to stay a step ahead of the investigators for quite a while. And while they were concerned, if they didn't catch up with him, he was going to leave the country because they had heard tips that he was going to leave for Berlin. So Holmes, three groups of travelers here end up in Toronto, Canada uh, in the second half of October. All this time, Carrie is trying to get in contact with her children because she has no clue where to start and she's getting bad information from Holmes. She has no idea that Howard is no longer traveling with his sisters, let alone that he's dead. And she's being told that her husband was on the run from detectives. She has no idea that Holmes is putting her on a train to New York on October 25th, the same day that her children were about to be murdered. Jeez. The morning after they arrived in Toronto, he was probably already putting these plans into place. Again, he found a house to rent. Uh, he said he, he needed to borrow a shovel from the neighbor because he wanted to dig a hole in the cellar for potatoes and they're like yeah great whatever here's a, here's a shovel <laughs> he 
he uh and that and the landlord had witnessed the girls at the home so they were seen there and honestly one of the worst parts about the home story is at the end of all of this he sold this story for thousands of dollars and made up a bunch of shit that probably doesn't happen including the way he killed the Peitzel girls in his story, he lured them into a trunk, which he then drilled a hole into and inserted a hose to pump gas and inf- asphyxiate them yeah. before burying them in the cellar. In Selzer's book, he says no gas was found in Toronto. He speculates they were also poisoned as Howard was and that the gassing story was all for the notoriety or, you know, to sell a story. Yeah. There are also reports that Nellie's feet had been cut off before she was buried, uh, but that was also found to not be true she was just badly decomposed but once again Holmes was sloppy on his exit he attempted to burn clothing that they'd been wearing but everything was so tightly packed in the chimney that the large pieces didn't burn properly some things from their pockets survived including a toy allegedly meant for reuniting with Howard and some pages with their writing. The next tenants said they were never able to be rid of the smell. Holmes's decision to kill the children was never fully explained, other than his increasingly paranoid behavior maybe put him in a spot where he felt he didn't have a choice. Uh, speculated, it's, or, sorry, it's speculated that, uh, <coughs> hold on, I think I wrote this weird. Okay, sorry. Some speculate that it was that he enjoyed killing and it, they satisfied a bloodlust. Others said that it was a liability issue and he really only killed for money, not for fun. The district attorney in the court went with the liability angle as Alice had to ID the body of her father and she likely understood that he was really dead. Yeah. Those are dad's crooked ass teeth. Like nobody else is going to have teeth just like my dad. This guy's dead. It's also speculated that he intended on killing Carrie and the other two children, even at one point requesting that Carrie send Desi and Wharton ahead to be with the other kids, but she refused. And there were moments later that she recalled where he sent her into a cellar to retrieve something. And there was, she'd seen a hole dug in the cellar, like he was planning to kill her, you know, things that added up after the fact like he told her it was for potatoes and then she yeah she believed him because she didn't you know that's what her husband told her to do and then after finding out everything later went that motherfucker was probably trying to kill me like yeah so holmes left toronto just ahead of detectives there's not a lot known about his movements from late october into early november but strangely he did go back home to his family in Gilmanton, Vermont, on November 5th. He explained his absence was due to amnesia, which they bought. He confessed to his first wife, now his 15-year-old son, uh, that he was married to a woman named Georgiana, who had been a patroness of the hospital he'd woken up in. They'd given him the name H.H. Holmes. Uh, It said that he gave his brother a good bit of money. Everybody was so excited that he came back super fucking rich. Like, that was a huge thing. Um, So he gave him money to help the family live more comfortably. Left for Boston, said, hey, I'm going to come back. I just need to tie up some loose ends. He did not come back. He arrived in Boston on November 13th. The detectives had finally tracked him down and had a warrant from Philadelphia coroner. But the police in Boston were like, this isn't enough to make an arrest. And so they had to end up getting the warrant from Texas. And Holmes was officially arrested on November 17th on the charge of fucking horse theft. Hey, whatever it takes. I know, right? When questioned about the fraud, keep because keep this in mind, they are just after him for fraud, not murder. They don't yeah. know that he's committed murder yet. They still just think it's the fraud. 
And he basically confesses to fraud. He's like, yeah, I did it. Benjamin Feitzel and his three kids are in South America now. I'm sorry. Like, Carrie's innocent. Maybe she'll back me up on this. But there's not enough evidence for murder. So he's just telling them, yeah, we did it. We did that. I'll take the two years in prison for this. Like, yeah, whatever. But Carrie's also arrested for her part in the fraud. And she faints when she's walked up to the police station. She she was like, what the fuck? I'm being arrested and fainted. Uh, She immediately spills the beans, telling them everything she knew about her husband, his plan, the plans and weird behavior with Mudgett Holmes Howard. Um, And she's now pretty sure that her husband is actually dead. And she's worried about her children being dead as well. They decided that she had been duped and was not an accomplice, but she was still um, in jail for like six months. Holmes uh, was then returned to Philadelphia, where he was questioned uh, about the Minnie and Annie Williams uh, missing people's situation. He claimed that the elder sister was killed by the younger sister in an effort to protect her. He put the body in the trunk and threw it in Lake Michigan for her. And then he kindly bought the land off of her in Fort Worth for $40,000 so that she could have money to go on the run and start a new life. (laughs) That was his story. Later, when he was uh, asked if he was guilty of murder, he would go back on that story. uh, And he said he never committed a murder. And actually, both William's sisters were still alive. And he only told that killer story to fuck with the investigator. I was like, excuse? (laughs) Are you telling me right now? Are you admitting to lying to the police to like, what's it called when... uh, fucking with the investigation so in january of 1895 herman had come up with what i'm sure he imagined was a much better story he retracted his first confession and he wanted to tell the investigators the quote real truth this time he claimed that peitzel actually totally decided to kill himself and holmes knew (laughs) he knew that the insurance company wouldn't pay out for a suicide and think of the children So he burned the suicide note and posed the scene so that Carrie and the kids would be able to get by in Benjamin's absence. Yeah, he just died and then poured chloroform down his throat. Yeah. Well, no, he's admitting, no, I staged staged the, the explosion to look like that because... I didn't want his family to suffer because of his suicide is basically. Yeah. So, um, and the three missing children, they're staying with his wife, Minnie Williams in London. He just got himself all (laughs) fucked up, didn't he? (laughs) So authorities were trying to track down the children. Um, They had kept Carrie in jail for six months, like I said, uh, before her release. And they probably felt like they owed it to her. Uh, Holmes kept making up stories, introducing new characters uh, to throw people off the scent. Or that's what it felt like anyway. Detective Frank Geyer started his search in late June, searching in Cincinnati, following the trail of Holmes and the children from the year before city to city. He was hearing these stories of Howard is a bad boy, institutionalized, and stories from hotel workers who said they found the kids crying when their meals were delivered to their room. He found the house in Detroit with a grave dug in the yard, but found no uh, like bodies or, you know, there, wa- there were no remains there to actually tie him to a crime. He just saw somebody dug a fucking grave here. Then he went to Toronto, and just as he was on the verge of giving up, Geyer arrived at the rental house that Holmes had picked and found the evidence left behind. The odor, the pieces of clothing that were burned, the toy, more clothes that were tucked under the sink. The bodies of Alice and Nellie were discovered, Alice seemingly thrown in face up and in the the fetal position. Nellie was on top of her with her hair covering her face. Both were decomposed badly enough that a cause of death could not be determined for sure, though it seemed that there was no sign of struggle, so it was determined that it was likely poison or smothering or a combination. 
With this discovery, the property in Chicago was next, and by July 20th, Chicago papers were reporting that Minnie and Annie Williams uh, had been burned to death and cremated on the third floor stove. And there are all kinds of various headlines while people, while the search is happening, like Mm -hmm. ribs in the ashes and red stains on the rope. And did he hang them? Uh, this is about the time that the building started to be called the castle. Uh, Holmes even made the statement that Julia Connor died from the botched abortion and was unsure what happened to her daughter, Pearl, at this point. There are bones found in the cellar. Now bear in mind, again, with the Lizzie Borden thing, these papers are getting a piece of information, a small piece, and making a whole story out of it. So if you go back and read any of these, you know that a lot of it is sensationalized. More names were being printed as more remains were found. And in all this mania around the case taking place, the castle was burned down on August 19th, 1895, which essentially ended the investigation for Chicago police. Yeah. Detective Can't exactly Ga- investigate what's not there. Yeah. Detective Geyer continued his search for Howard, meanwhile, and he was finally, his remains were finally found on August 27th. Meanwhile, Holmes was in a jail cell working on his autobiography, which was published on October or in October of 1895, which he admitted he had done many crimes, but he never admitted to murder. When it came time to, or when it came to the murder of Benjamin Peitzel, he pled not guilty at his arraignment, and the first trial began on October 28th, 1895. He was retried, and his case even went to the Supreme Court. In the end, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Doctors performed tests on him while he was awaiting his sentencing. It doesn't seem like this was any like torture testing sort of thing. It was more like, do criminals have arms that are longer or, you know, like, does a weird earlobe mean you're going to be evil sort of thing? (laughs) Um, But I did love this. One doctor noted his sexual organs were, quote, unusually small. Of course they were. Got him. What? Said got him. (laughs) also up to this point holmes kept trying to offer evidence to exonerate himself like a man uh named edward hatch killing the children on the orders of minnie williams and he genuinely seemed like in everything that i read he really seems like a person who's trying to convince people of his innocence and i'm like am i falling for it (laughs) am i falling for h.h holmes and his lines In one letter he wrote, he was like, I'm no match for the state of Pennsylvania conjointly fighting with several insurance companies. I will not die before it is known that I am not a murderer. It is for these reasons that I am bringing these matters here. He's like trying to ask somebody for help. But I was like, whoa, yeah, man, am I believing you right now? (laughs) On March 4th, uh, Holmes was informed that the Supreme Court had ruled against him and the governor of Pennsylvania set his day of execution for May 7th. Holmes started getting offers for written confessions to be published from $1,000 to $5,000, $7,000 before he finally took the bait uh, and wrote his alleged confession for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Though it was reprinted and misprinted and many papers at the time were just trying to sell papers. And so they, were, they started just guessing what it said before it was actually finished to sell papers before their rivals. And that's actually where the famous... I was born with the devil in me, quote comes from. (laughs) He never said that. Uh, So the North Americans leak uh, included quotes like, I am convinced that since my imprisonment, I have changed woefully and gruesomely from what I formerly was in feature and in figure. My features are assuming nothing more nor less than a pronounced satanical cast. (laughs) I want you all to know, I just saw one of the biggest eye rolls I've ever seen from Roya. (laughs) Yeah, my eyes just fell out of my head. Yeah. 
So the actual confession that uh, Roya mentioned last week was of the 27 murders was much more dull than the fictionalized one that was printed for the for the likes. It was for the clickbait version. (laughs) Uh, He said things like that. He no longer had a mirror, quote, with which to note my rapidly deteriorating condition. He mentioned the physical tests he had gone through by doctors and claimed that his criminality was, quote, so apparent that an expert criminologist in the employ of the United States government, who had never previously seen me, said within 30 seconds after entering my cell, I know you're guilty. <laughs> Fuck the police. <laughs> well, I mean, the classmate knew that he was evil from his mouth. <laughs> from his from his no mustache. So he says of Howard... Uh, yeah, he says of Howard Peitzel, I cut his body into pieces that would pass through the door of the stove and by the combined use of gas and corn cobs proceeded to burn it with as little feeling as though it had been some inanimate object. And as I <laughs> mentioned earlier with the girls and the gassing in the box, this is where he made up that story. And he claimed that he left them in the box, went out for a while and then came back and gassed them. He added, he quote, uh, then came the opening of the trunk and the viewing of their little black and distorted faces, and the digging of their shallow grave in the basement of the house, the ruthless stripping of their clothing, and the burial without a particle of covering save the cold earth, which I heaped upon them with fiendish delight. And, like, that's the point where I went, you're fucking with us. (laughs) Yeah. Who believes this? The the Victorians. That's who believed it. Well, yeah. So it's pretty obvious that portions of this confession were simply not true, leaving some to wonder how guilty he truly was. At least today, we wonder, like, how did people fucking believe this? Like I said, the murders of Howard and Julia and Pearl seemed within the realm of possibility within his confession, uh, while other ones seemed like he actually, uh, like he he was committing the sensationalism, like he was trying to get the money's worth. And he even said to somebody later, like, they wanted a good story and I gave him one. So he admitted it wasn't real. And according to Selzer, several people mentioned uh, in that confession were interviewed by papers since Holmes had been arrested and others were known to have died of natural causes. So like some people weren't even dead. Yeah. On the morning of May 7th, Holmes had his last meal of dry toast, coffee and eggs just after 8 a.m. They didn't even give the man butter. He doesn't deserve butter. (laughs) The Philadelphia Times said the prison parlor, or yeah, the prison pallor of his face gave one a chill. He looked dead already. Good. At the end, he said basically <laughs> the only reason he had last words was because he felt like if he didn't say anything, people would assume or it would it would imply that he was okay with what was about to happen Mm. uh he said i only wish to say that the extent of the wrongdoing i am guilty of in taking human life is the killing of two women they died by my hands as the result of criminal operations i also wish to say however so that there will be no misunderstanding hereafter that i am not guilty of taking the lives of any of the peitzel family either the three children or their father benjamin f peitzel for whose death i I am now to be hanged. I have never committed murder. That is all I have to say. Which I'm presuming he's saying the two women as if the two botched abortions allegedly would be the killings and that they're literally criminal operations. (laughs) Uh, But that's what that's what he said. So he prayed with the priest, was handcuffed, got the black hood over his face, rope around his neck. He told the the guy getting him ready for the hanging. He's like, take your time. I'm in no hurry. (laughs) Um, His last words were something like, Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. It wasn't a particularly clean hanging. 
Yeah. His body spun, spun, his legs were kicking, he was twitching for a while, his fingers were like moving around a lot, and it took over 15 minutes for him to die. Some said that his neck would, did in fact snap, others said it never did, and that he was struggling that whole time. His coffin was filled with cement, evidently at his own request to protect his corpse from being stolen and dissected, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, some people were convinced, however, that he somehow cheated the gallows and was walking free in South America. After all, he was nothing if not an excellent swindler. In fact, Robert Latimer, who was one of the janitors at the castle, claimed that he had seen letters from Holmes proving that he conned lawyers and priests and undertakers into planting a fake body. And the cement was in an effort to keep people from investigating to make sure it was actually him. Mm. Which, I, okay, no, I, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where I have a hard time thinking that he could have gotten everybody involved oh, who yeah. would have needed to to get it done, you know, especially and then none of them can no deathbed right. confessions that they helped him. Is, yeah, no, no, I'm saying I could see the cement thing being a good yeah. idea. Like, oh, yeah, I don't want like, anybody can, to look at my body not being here. Like, I don't yeah, think the I can, I, that's I a plan of Swiss cheese, as I say. Yeah, I can definitely understand where the kind of conspiracy theory would come from, too, because he was like a boogeyman, yeah. you yeah. know? And like, what if he he's already conned all these people? What if he yep. conned more and got out? You know, so like, I can see where, like, logically, they're concerned about that. But yeah, there would have been a deathbed confession or something by, by one of the many people who would have had to be involved. Yeah, so... Murda Holmes never gave up on her husband and maintained that he was not the criminal everyone thought he was. And she went to the grave with, with his name, with, with the name of Holmes, in 1924. Georgiana remarried and later supported Prohibition. She died in 1945. Clara Mudgett may or may not have remarried, but it's said that she lived to be 95 and never wow. spoke publicly about Herman again. Actually, none of them did. I don't blame him. Mudgett had confessed to 27 murders, though some sources claim he later increased that to more than 130, but he was only ever convicted of one. Some researchers have suggested that the real number exceeded 200, some many less. Only four known victims were ever definitely found, that of the Peitzel family, and even then the evidence is fairly clear but mostly circumstantial like there was nothing hard on him other than he was there yeah and even of those four there's a lot of speculation that he wasn't working alone georgiana in her testimony was like like i love my husband there's no fucking way he could have picked up a trunk with two girls in it and put it in a grave and i'm like you know i she's 15 she's not a small kid yeah. I can understand that, like, he would have had to had the equipment there to do it. And then people would have seen him moving in and out because people saw him moving shit in and out. Like, I can understand how she would say that. Um, but also, you never want to suspect your partner or your parent right. or someone you care about could be capable of something like that. Right. So you start to rationalize everything to make it make sense that it couldn't by be the them. Time she, by the time he was on trial, she was not talking to him. I don't know how much defense she actually gave him other than my husband was a weak little bitch and couldn't pick up a trunk <laughs> with two girls in it. So anyway, speculation that he wasn't working alone. It's assumed that he killed Julia and Pearl Connor. Um, it's assumed that he killed Emmeline uh, Sigrande or Sigrand and uh, Minnie and Annie Williams. But there were over 25 possible villains. Williams. 
victims mentioned either by Holmes himself in his wild confession or in the press. And another 20 or more that were proven to not be his victims that were mentioned. Uh, He went by more than a dozen aliases. So it's really hard to actually keep track of where he went and what he did. These notes took me an exceptionally long time because of the amount of trash information out there. Yeah. So much sensationalized news, similar again to Lizzie Borden, but with people making up mistakes or outright myths around this time period, it was really difficult. And I don't imagine that we'll ever know for sure the true crimes of Herman Mudgett or H.H. H. Holmes. Um, what's, what's so funny is, uh, I I assumed uh, naively at the beginning of this that by saying, hey, Roya, did you want to do the murder house? That I would be like having the rest of it wouldn't be so bad. But in Seltzer's book, it's like the first 80 pages are Chicago, like childhood to Chicago. The next 300 is everything else. I'm sorry. No, I I assumed yeah, I looked on I the Wikipedia assume. and it was like half and half. So I was like, that seems like a good point. There was just so much that happened after that. So if you are interested, I really do recommend that book. It is, it's an easy read too, surprisingly. Like there's a lot of information, but it's not hard to like, uh, what's the word when you read Digest something? Digest it. Digest is, is the word. Comprehend. Like reading comprehension. Mm. Like it's not hard to keep with you. So the character of H.H. H. Holmes has been seen throughout media and popular culture, we all know, uh, including as inspiration for an episode of the game show Elevator, which was one of my favorite shows. I forgot that show existed. I love that show. Uh, he was in an episode of Supernatural. Uh, recently, the History Channel docuseries called American Ripper tried to prove that he was also Jack the Ripper. Yeah, there's a lot of weird allegations about that. That's and I'm stupid. Like, we don't believe that. <laughs> no. Like their their entire motivation is different. Their their victim base is entirely different. Their process in killing is entirely different. And these aren't things that a a serial killer would just change. Yeah. They feel compelled to do things a particular way. A particular way. And yeah. the whole thing about H.H. H. Holmes is I don't think that H.H. H. Holmes ever set out to be a murderer. I think all of his murders were circumstantial to yep. cover and protect himself. Yeah. We also mentioned in the last episode, there have been rumors for some time that Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese uh, got the rights to the drum, like the dramatized version of the story. Um, the yeah. Devil in the White City. Yeah, The Devil in the White City. I had to look at this book to know it was the opposite. Um, but it's we've heard nothing about it yet. I saw something recently that said Keanu Reeves might be involved now. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. Uh, <laughs> but nothing actually solid has ever turned up. And one last thing I want to talk about, because it wouldn't be a Casey segment without it. The body of the man who is allegedly H.H. Holmes was exhumed in April of 2017 at the inquiry of his great-grandchildren wanting to confirm his identity and put any escape rumors to bed. So a DNA test was done on the body, which hadn't uh, decomposed as much as anybody anticipated because he was covered in cement. That makes sense. Uh, It smelled, but his clothes and even his mustache were still in great condition. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It would it would protect you from the elements. It would yeah. be like like well, a almost no like a air. peat bog. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as we know, anaerobic environments make great places to mummify. Anyway, so uh, they had to take out his teeth because his body was his body was so decomposed that they couldn't get anything like for good DNA. Yeah. So they had to take a tooth, and uh, forensics were able to confirm that that person buried in Philadelphia in the tomb 
was the father. <laughs> Herman Mudgett, mustache and all. They took him on Maury. They did. So that's the story of H.H. H. Holmes. He was a shitty person, but not quite as shitty as the media makes him out to be. I mean, shitty. Really yeah, shitty. He, he, he did. But not murder castle shitty. He did murder a couple, uh, at least two kids, if not, you know. Allegedly. Circumstantial evidence. I'm just saying. No, he killed two kids, at he, least. At least. <laughs> Three. Because Howard is definitely dead. Mm, yeah. Howard and the two girls. But that's that. And thank you for joining us today for the second part of our shallow dive into H.H. H. Holmes. Uh, we hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. So send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through those a little more easily. Do you ever have your tooth tested for DNA? Yeah. Have you ever been on Mari? Yeah. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange and Unusual podcast. If you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, we have situations like this where we do a poll you vote and we cover what you want us to cover um we've got bonus episodes we've got access to our discord we've got more things on the pipeline especially as i'm sure casey is on gonna be going in tonight so i have a feeling we'll have more patreon episodes probably i got two uh, ready to go man I still need to work on one of mine. But anyway, um, we understand right now times are still tough. COVID is still very prevalent in our lives. And, you know, other shit just all going to hell. Uh, So we understand (laughs) if you can't support us financially right now. Um, but if you can, we just ask that you like, share, subscribe, rate, review, um, share us with your friends, share us with your enemies, uh, share us on Mari, you know, like whatever. Whatever you can do, we appreciate it. Interact with us on social media. Um, we will respond with GIFs we do. <laughs> more than likely. And yeah, if there's a, an episode or a case or a subject that you think we have uh, grossly overlooked covering, let us know. We might cover it. We might. We probably will. Yeah, we probably We're pushovers will. like that. <laughs> we just want to make you all happy. All right. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you.